Well, I wanted to thank you all for the opportunity to speak and for being a captive audience this morning. <laughs> you learn so much when you're preparing to teach. You learn so much more. And I, um, I often find myself fighting for truth in my thought life. And so a lot of what I think research and want to teach about is that. So I hope that you all can be helped in that way as well. Um, so today I want to talk about knowing God. That's very broad, I know. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of good things to think about in knowing God. So I'm going to start by reading um, the first seven verses of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So I, I, read, I was reading this and I saw something in it I hadn't seen before. And I've also been, I've talked to a lot of you about this, but I've been listening to sermons a lot lately from a lot of the guys who are involved in the Gospel Coalition, like Tim Keller or John Piper, R.C. Sproul, those types of people. And I don't know, like something about growing older, I guess, I really want to listen to what these people have to say, whereas maybe 20 years ago I might not really care. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So anyway, a lot of what I have said today, I, I didn't necessarily come up with it all. A lot of it is inspired from listening to sermons and reading and, and things like that. It's not original. No, yeah, most, almost none of that is, is original for me. <laughs> so the fact that Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, I've discovered that it can give such clarity in life and can help us to face anything that we're, we're facing. And I was thinking back in Crosswave when we first started doing the first and the last. That was my line. Mm. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And I never, what I'm about to tell you, wow. I never thought about when I was saying that line. If I had the chance again to say that line, it would be totally different. So, um, he's the Alpha and Omega. Um, the A to the Z. Doesn't Alpha and Omega sound so much more? You know, <laughs> important than A to, A to Z, but um, he's the Alpha. He's not the Beta in the Omega. He's the Alpha in Omega. He's the beginning, the origin. So oftentimes we come to God and we'll say, um, God, I have this problem. What am I going to do about it? Um, and I'm starting with myself. What's wrong with me or what's wrong with these people or what's wrong, wrong with this situation? But even in that case, we should start by going to God. He's the Alpha. He's the beginning of our life. He's the beginning of 
of finding anything we need to find. Um, we need to start with him to see who we really are. We're too close to ourselves. We have to back up some and get some perspective. And the best way to get perspective is to go to God. I'll never find myself, really, until I find God. There's a, um, a quote by Rudyard Kipling in one of his poems. He said, What do they know of England who only England knows? Right? If you've never left your country or your city... You, don't, you can't really see from that outside perspective to see what's so different about it. So seeing from an outside perspective, seeing God as your origin, um, not I think, therefore I am, but I was created, therefore I am. There are a lot of people who don't want to answer the question, um, where did I come from? What's my origin? What is my alpha point, so to speak? Um, there's a lot of escapism in what is my beginning. Um, I'm a random collection of atoms that just happened. Mm -hmm. And um, the usually when that, that comment is made, it's followed by a nervous laughter and then changing the subject. <laughs> people don't want to think about it. It's escapism, right? So acknowledging that God is our alpha point. He is our creator. And it infuses value. It, it, is, um, it gives us a place to start. So we're not an accidental collection of atoms. We were created by God. So I'm going to warn you, the omega is much, much longer than the alpha. <laughs> so if he's the omega, he's the end. He's the direction that everything is going. Everything is rushing towards him. Um, the universe was designed for him. It was created by him, designed for him. It wasn't... Um, we, we fit when we're in him. Imagine there's a house... Most houses are created kind of an for an average person, right? But imagine there's a house created for a family who's all over six feet tall. Well, you might go into the countertops and be pretty high, and the beds would be pretty big, and that sort of thing. And if you were five feet tall, you wouldn't really fit in that house. And so, thinking about how things were designed, the universe was created. Welcome. <laughs> oh, it was created for him, designed for Jesus. So we fit into it when we find when we find him. Everything is for him. He will be the judge. He will be the finality of everything. He's the end of everything. This quote really got me. All of history is rushing headlong into his lap. It all belongs to him. It's all for him. So every need that we have will be answered in him. Everything points to him. All our problems are resolved in him. All the problems in the world will be put to rest by him. Everything in history is moving toward him and for his glory. And in 1 Corinthians 1.20, um, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to, the to God for his glory. So everything is found in Jesus. So all this is very broad and Yes and good, and everybody's nodding. Um, so how do I how do I take this lofty truth and apply it in my own life, in my own thought life, especially to begin? So the idea that Jesus is a, is our omega, he's our omega point. He's means he must be your point. He's your purpose. Is he your means to another end, or is he your end? So that's a very difficult question to ask yourself. Is he the end and everything else is the means? Or is he the means to another end? So your, your omega points in your life are your non-negotiables. In the, in the beginning, we all approach God 
not as our non-negotiable, not as our omega point, but as the means to the other things that we want. We try to use him to get those things, but we can't do that. In that case, we're telling God that he's negotiable. I'll forget you, God, and find some other means to get what I want because I want success or financial security or a happy family or whatever it may be. And so I'm thinking, well, God, won't you help me with this problem? I really need you to help me solve this thing. Well, that's backwards. Looking to him first and then all those other things fall into place. If you look outside the Savior for something to be your Savior, your Savior, that thing will end up being not your Savior, but your Master. You will be enslaved to that thing. God says, don't serve me to get something. Serve me to get me. And a lot of people will say, well, I've served God and I've followed God and I've obeyed God. And look at the, look at all these things that have happened to me. I've lost somebody I've loved. I've lost my job. I'm sick. I can't achieve this success that I want. That's missing the point. Suppose you are crossing the street in a busy city and you see somebody who's about to be hit by the car and you are able to push them out of the way and you both survive and the person is profusely thanking you for saving their life and then you look down and you realize, realize that you've, you've ripped your pants. And you think, oh, I ripped my pants. What a, can you believe that? I saved your life and now I've ripped my pants. And the person is thinking, you're like, I don't know why I did that. I ripped my pants. What is that person supposed to think? (laughs) That your pants are more important than their life? Well, that's kind of like saying to God, well, God, I've served you and I've obeyed you and I've loved you and I've I've lost my job. You ripped your pants. Okay. It's inconsequential compared to what you've got in knowing God. The things you want the most, you'll never get if you want them the most. Unless what that thing is, is God. Anything you want the most is your omega point. And any omega point other than Jesus will self-destruct. There's an example from this novel. I haven't read read the novel, but um, I've read this excerpt. Um, It's Elizabeth Elliot wrote a novel called No Graven Image. And it's about um, a woman, a missionary, attempting to translate the Bible into a tribal language. And at the end of her life, All of her work is destroyed. And at the end, she says, Now, in the clear light of day, I see that God, if he was merely my accomplice, he had betrayed me. If, on the other hand, he was God, he had freed me. Whoa. If God was my accomplice, he had betrayed me. But if God was my God, he had freed me. So if I was using God to accomplish this task of translating the Bible, which is all good and well, if I'm using God to accomplish this task and my work is destroyed, that God God has betrayed me. But if, on the other hand, if I am living for God and loving God and he is using me to do this, then whatever he wants me to do, he has the right to have me do. So if my work is destroyed, I still have God. He's freed me. He's freed me from whatever that thing was that I thought I had to do to to work so hard. So where does that freedom come from? When I realize that God is his own happy ending. He's the Omega. If I serve him and I get him, what more do I want? Could I get a happier ending? I'm adopted into his family. I will rule and reign with him forever. I'll have all the needs of my heart satisfied. How could I ever add anything to that? 
There's freedom in knowing that you don't serve him to get things, but serve him to get him. Everything else is just the icing on the cake. It's just gravy. It's extra. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 5.6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Anything you want the most, you'll never get unless it's Jesus. So we often look to other gods to save us, right? The God of, does everybody like me? Or the God of, have I accomplished what I set out to do today? Or, I mean, whatever it may be, I'm sure you can think of many examples. We complain and complain to God, and Jesus is standing there saying, What about me? What about me? Serve him to get him, not to get things. He is not a battery to recharge your old life. Now this week, we got tires on two of our cars. I drove each of the cars um, one day this week. We have a very old car that um, some people gave to us years ago, and it's kind of Jason's project car. While we were trading around the other cars, I was driving that car to work and several times this week including did it snow this week that was this week wasn't it in the snow uh the car wouldn't start and so i'm out there trying to charge it and jump it we have a little battery pack and the hood slammed down on the battery pack while i was charged trying to jump it and that didn't work and somebody else had to come over and charge the car anyway we got it jumped and so i was thinking about batteries and all um but you know you have something old like that and you need to jump start it every now and then and after it stopped snowing, it was all fine all week. So I don't know. But, um, he is not a battery, a jump starter to fix your old life, your old car. Right? He's, he's a new life. So we try to patch together all these things. Well, God, this is what I wanted my life to be like. And I'm going to piece, put these pieces together. I need you to charge it up and make it go. Well, he's a new life. He's not taking all these things and putting them together. It's like we're creating this Frankenstein over here, and he's going to be the juice to get it going. <laughs> Um, <coughs> believing and knowing God is restructuring our omega points, the, the drivers that, that drive us in life. Things that were ultimate become penultimate. So I almost wish Henry was in here because he could, an- or Simon can answer this question. What is the chief end of man? <laughs> they answer that question almost every week in Sunday school. Um, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our chief omega point, right? Um, none of us here know that freedom yet someday. Um, we're all in different parts of the process. We're being reconstructed on the inside and oftentimes that can make a mess. (laughs) So think about what are your true omega points? What happens in your life if you rip your pants when following Jesus? He's not your accomplice. He's your God. He's not the means to the end. He is the end, the omega So the Alpha and Omega, um, what about the middle? I was thinking about um, your your A to Z. Now there's a company out there today who thinks they are your A to Z. They've even got it on their box. Anybody know what it is? Amazon. Exactly. (laughs) Think about it. They want to be everything and you're in between. But it it follows that if he's your first and he's your last, then he's your middle. Um, So people say, well, I came from nothing. I'm just this collection of atoms. I'm going to nothing. But all this stuff in the middle, it really matters. It really matters. We have got to fight for rights for people. We've got to fight against oppression. We've got to have compassion. I mean, they're right about those things, but for the wrong reasons. 
I mean, if, it, if your beginning is nothing and your end is nothing, then it logically follows that your middle is nothing. So where do these values come from? Um, people who believe this have really got to ask themselves, where, where is this coming from? But on the other hand, if, you're, if your beginning is Jesus and your end is Jesus, then your middle is so meaningful. Everything in your life is meaningful. Every moment. So, if I want Jesus to be my Alpha and my Omega and my middle, now what? So, this is kind of a lofty you know, goal. I can think about it on a high level, but as I'm going through my day and I'm you know, brushing the kids' teeth or something, how do I make that more real and personal? How do I think about it in a different way? So, getting to know the Alpha and Omega. Um, from John 14, uh, first 11 verses. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, well, I, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So what Jesus is saying here is one of the most basic messages in the Bible. Philip, through me right now, you can know the Father. We can know the Father through God. Now, Christianity is very personal. You think about what our society and our culture is right now. now I, I listened to a message <laughs> from 1991, and everything in it was to absolutely, totally still true. Mm -hmm. But there was one piece that made me chuckle, because <laughs> they were talking about a modern and high-tech society. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess, it, I mean, it was in the early 90s, kind of, but not like it is now. We didn't even have social media or smartphones or iPads or anything like that, right? Mm -hmm. So they were talking about the high-tech society and how it, how it made people more isolated, how it made people long for um, high-touch society. Now, years and years and years ago, you would be born into a town, you would live there, you would grow up, you would get a job, you would probably stay there pretty much your whole life. You would marry somebody from that town, and you would go to the same church, and you would get a job, and you'd stay there until you retired, and so on and so forth. And, of course, nowadays, it's totally different. You may you may stay there, which I have. <laughs> or uh, you may move around, move from job to job, or move from city to city, and that sort of thing. And so that sort of isolation, um, you know, people are looking for religion and spirituality or intellectual things, but... It's, it's a great consolation to us that Christianity and knowing God is deeply personal. 
It's what we truly long for, and that's what he is, a person. Um, so when you're dealing with a, you know, you've called the 1-800 number for some customer service thing, and you please listen carefully because our options may have changed, and you're hitting all the numbers, and you're just like, I just want to talk to a person. <laughs> zero, zero, zero. <laughs> um, you know, or you're dealing with the self-checkout or something. You, you know, sometimes you want a person. Um, so when we approach God, it's not a formula. It's not a machine. It's not, you got to do all these things right. He's a person. Um, the essence of, of Christianity is knowing God. Everything else comes second. So it, it is wonderful to us that the gospel is personal. So all these things that we're teaching and hearing and knowing can be made real in our hearts. So usually when we pray, we pray for our needs. Please keep us safe, God, or, you know, help us to have wisdom. All these things are good to pray for. Um, but when you look in the Bible, there's a lot of examples where they pray for, he's praying for the saints, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Or praying so that Christ may dwell in the hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness, fullness of God. These prayers are from the first three chapters of Ephesians. So instead of praying for these specific needs, they're praying that we may know God more deeply. And if we have that, then all these other all these other worries and concerns and fears will be answered in him. So knowing him personally and deeply is everything about life. It is life. Think about a mess, a knot, a gnarled knot. You might remember the knot game. <laughs> If you have a knot, and sometimes this happens to me if I have a chain on my necklace, it gets all gnarled up and you're trying to get it away, or your kids' shoelaces or something, and you're like if you could just get that one little thread, one little piece out, then the whole thing would, would just unravel, it would come open. So, you're looking for that in life. What is this silver bullet? What is the perfect fix? Um, knowing God is what loosens those knots in our life. It makes everything else more clear. All the things that we're going through, all of our circumstances, all the why God becomes more clear and gives us the strength to walk through those things. So think about Philip in this scripture. Um, he was following after Jesus and yet somehow he kind of missed the point. How do we know the Father? Don't you know, Philip? If you know me, you know the Father. We can be busy and we can be zealous and we can be doing all the right things and still not know him. There's people all over the place who go to church every Sunday who don't really know him. So there's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing him personally. So at first, knowing is information. Now you can get information on a lot of people, a lot of ways, without actually ever meeting them or knowing them at all. Now, especially thanks to the internet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, you can have information without personal knowledge, but you cannot have personal knowledge without information. So you can know the Bible without knowing God, but you can't know God without knowing the Bible, knowing Jesus. So Jesus 
Jesus is praying in John 17. He, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This says, this is eternal life, that they know you. So we often think that the point, the point of life is to know God. This is true. However, the definition of life is to know God. I mean, that statement right there kind of floored me for a little while. The definition of life is to know God. It's what you were built and designed for. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Boast that he understands and knows me. So imagine now that you are the um, best basketball player in the NCAA. You'd be pretty happy right now. Only if the rest of the team, your team were. <laughs> Imagine that you were the musician who was topping the charts. Imagine that you were the sole heir to $5 billion. How would you feel? Pretty good. All these people love me, or I've got all this money to make myself happy. Now, there are people out there who have achieved those things and have also later achieved knowing God. Even the people who have achieved those things have always said, knowing God is better. Knowing God is more fulfilling. It has, it has never, ever been disproven that knowing God is more valuable than having any of those things. It's never been disproven. Even when you get to the end, what's next? But the depth of knowing God, you can read the same words, you can listen to the same message, and every time you get something deeper, something more. C.S. Lewis says, further up and further in. If you were asked, why did Jesus come? There's a lot of good answers to that question. To die for our sins? Uh, to show us how to live? Yes. But the main point is, Philip, I came so that you might know the Father. You might know the Father intimately. You might know the Father daily. There is nothing greater than this, and nothing short of this should be your goal. It is to be the most central thing of your life. Now, a lot of times people have a difficulty with this, with knowing God. Um, people who don't know God yet. Well, why, why is he so demanding? Why is he so exclusive? Why is it so confusing? Um, there's a lot of questions. But actually... It's not really those things that are the problem. The problem is that he is very personal. So the New Testament has a lot of a lot of things to say about what's the right thing to do, what's philosophy, um, how can you answer all these questions? But you can't answer any of those questions until you answer this question: What do you make of him? Who is he? Who is Jesus? Until you've been able to answer that question, the Bible won't make sense in telling you how to live or answering your questions or meeting your personal needs 
or any of those things. First things first. Who do you think that he is? Who do you say that I am? He asks. Now this, this can bug people because they have questions. Like why does God allow evil in the world? Why did this happen to me? What about all these people over here who never even had the opportunity to hear about Christ? How do I get rid of this bad habit? If I know Jesus, is he going to change my political perspective? How do I really turn the other cheek? These are good questions, but none of them, the answers to them, are, none of them are going to make sense until you've answered, who is Jesus? Is he who he says he is? If he is, then are you willing to move from informational knowledge to personal knowledge? Until you decide that he is God, none of these other questions will make any sense. Well, if Christianity was philosophy, you could do the questions first. You could come intellectually and ask the questions and get some answers. If Christianity was therapy, you could fix your problems first. But it's not. It's, it's personal. It's a relationship. You have to enter a relationship first. first. First things first, and second things second. For example, marriage. There's a lot of business that has to happen in marriage, right? But if your relationship isn't right, those business aspects are not going to work out. We need to get things right between us before we can talk about the schedule for next week, whatever it is. It's primarily personal and secondarily business. So it's like that with God. Our relationship with God has to be right before we can ask all these questions. John the Baptist even asked Jesus if he was the one or should we look for another. And the way we know who Jesus is is we read the Bible. Read what Jesus did. Read what he said over and over again. And there's a, there's a section in John 7 where the, the Pharisees are talking and they want to go arrest Jesus. And so they send these men to go arrest Jesus. Well, when the men get there, they listen to Jesus and they come back without him. And the Pharisees are like, what happened to you? Why didn't you, why didn't you arrest him? And they said, no one ever spoke like this man. It was the personal aspect that changed them. Now, you could be over in this room over here talking philosophy about him, but then when you see him, it's completely different. It's that personal interaction that changed him. So he claims that he is the way and the truth and the life. That sounds pretty demanding, and it is, but for good reason. So people ask about the way. Why is Jesus the only way to God? How is that fair? What about people who do good? What about other religions? Why can't they get to God that way? So he's a person. You can't just find your way into a personal relationship with somebody any old way you choose. You want to get to know somebody and you invite them. You know, you say, I really want to get to know you. And they say, okay, well, let's go out for coffee. I hate coffee. Would you say that? No. <laughs> I demand that you come, I don't know, go out for sushi or something. Well, I don't like sushi. Okay, well, I guess we're not going to get into a relationship. <laughs> Um, think of a great athlete. Think of a, um, a sports star, a basketball player, or a football player or something. Suppose this player is interested in a, a woman that he's met. Well, the woman doesn't know anything about sports. She's interested in literature or something. Um, does he go to her and say, I'd really like to get to know you. Um, I demand that you learn more about football. Um, here's a book about athletic plays, and I'd really like to, you to get to know me through my athletic skill. No, he doesn't do that. <laughs> if he is really interested in her, 
he will do what she is interested in. At least when they're first getting to know each other. So we say. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the the analogy only goes so far. Then she reads the Bible. Eventually. Um, so with a person, you can't say, "I'm going to get into a relationship with you any old way I please." No, God is a person. So we can't just go any old way to get into a relationship with him. He said Jesus is the way. So that's the way we go. God has to come, has to open the relationship from the inside. You can't just get there through effort, through someone else, through good deeds. He says it's Jesus. So it's a relationship, just like starting a relationship with another person. So that's the way. The truth. Jesus says... What I say has precedence over everything else. It has precedence over your feelings. It has precedence over your, the opinions of your friends and family. Precedence over public opinion. Precedence over the opinion of experts. Over what you think is practical. Now, this is really hard for our, our culture to get. It is really hard. There's so There's so many questions about, well, you know, it's like... They're attacking you for what Christianity is. Well, like you decided that it was going to be this way. Well, that's not fair. What do you have to say about that? I didn't come up with that. <laughs> and again, nothing else makes sense. When you think about the problems of society or the, the things that people get caught into and you're trying to fix it, you know, you see how the government's trying to fix things. Well, you're just, you know, you're just treating the symptoms. None, none of the other, nothing else makes sense. How you should live your life, the rules, none of it makes sense until there's a relationship with Jesus there first. But it's so absolute because it's a relationship. Now, life. There are, there are some people who will be very dependent on relationships. Some people who will say, I'm not interested in a relationship never got married because I don't want this commitment or I want to be free. I don't want to be tied down, things like that. I'll lose control of my life if I enter into this relationship. Um, could be true of coming to God. Could be true of marriage or friendship or any, any of these things. Well, what if you have a friend um, and the, your friend calls you up one day and says, um, the movers are coming to pack my house. I'm moving to another city. Um, I'll be gone tomorrow. Nice knowing you. You would think, well, I thought we were friends. Why didn't you tell me about this? Why didn't we talk about this? You know, you're kind of sad. You're sad that they're leaving, but you're sadder that they didn't even tell you. What kind of relationship is that? Any any friendship, any relationship, any interaction at all, you lose a little bit of your independence. You can't just, I mean, you're in a family. You don't just run off and go do something. I mean, there are people that do, but... Um, the closer a relationship is, the less the person has a right to act completely independently, right? So, you have a relationship with the greatest being in the universe. You lose all right to do anything independently. And yet, he has your best interest in mind. It's, it turns out better. If we don't want a relationship um, because we're going to lose control... Our lives are going to go out of control anyway. 
without relationship at all, we lose ourselves completely. So a relationship with Jesus calls for the greatest commitment. He says, I am not a help for your life. I am the reason for your life. I've got to be first in your life. So, do you know Jesus? Is he real to you? Well, how do I know if I really know him? With Jesus, knowing is seeing. When Philip says, show us the Father, he means, show us the Father with, your, with our eyes. Give, give me a vision of the Father. And Jesus says, no, Philip. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've understood me, you've understood the Father. If you've known me, you've known the Father. Jesus is pushing us to move from informational knowledge of God to a personal knowledge of God. To know God means that the gospel stops being information and impacts you in every aspect of your life. What you do, how you think, how you respond emotionally. Like Philip, we could be around Jesus for so long and not really know him. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who says, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You think about that verse for a long time. <laughs> for God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's really a beautiful image. So if he's not real to you, of course he could be more real to you. Get rid of those things that are keeping him from being real to you. Nothing in life is worth keeping to lose him. It's what you're made for. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So if we long for him, if we earnestly seek him, he will not cast us out. He has promised to make himself real. So back to Revelation. This is chapter 1, starting in verse 12. This is a glorious image of Jesus. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hair of his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. He held in his right hand seven stars, and a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth. His face was like the sun shining at its brightest. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, but he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. The living one. I was dead and behold now I am alive forever and ever. So his hair is white. To show he is wiser than the wise. His eyes are fire. To show his eyes are more penetrating than the deepest fire. His face is brighter than the brightest sun. His voice is louder than the loudest ocean. Why? Why this imagery? God, God, John, John is trying to show us how glorious Jesus is. Now, glory can be hard to understand or it can be easy to understand. Glory is weight. 
So imagine a stream of water. You put a stone in the middle of the, of the stream. The water goes around the stone, right? Um, because the stone has more glory, more weight than the water. And Jesus is the Lord of glory. He is the most glorious being in the universe. Everything swirls around him. Everything is for him. Everything goes to him. He's the most glorious being in the universe, as described here. And then it says, he placed his hand on me. I fell, I fell down like a dead man. He placed his head on, hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and behold, now, now I am alive forever and ever. This king of glory, the most glorious being in the universe, died for you. For me. He says, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of losing something valuable to you. Don't be afraid of what I might ask you to walk through. Think about what the early Christians had to go through. The persecution. Being torn limb from limb by wild horses. Being eaten by lions. Having molten lead poured into their brain. Think about those things. Could you endure that? Could you watch your children being killed? What enabled these people to be able to do this? I mean, we, we walk through sufferings and difficulties here. They're not like that. Not that we should try to compare which is my sufferings worse than yours or whatever. But we don't have to walk through those kinds of things. Yes, we have problems in our life. And God is there no matter what that thing is that we're having to walk through. But whatever it is, whatever the loss, the rip in your pants, the loss of something, is all worth it to know him. Because in the end, he has promised to make all things new. In the end, we will see with the eyes of our heart. We will know him intimately. So only things... Only... Things done for Jesus will last. Only relationship with Jesus will last. All of reality swirls around him. He is what really matters. All of your life is meaningful. Your suffering is meaningful. We are to cling to him and not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, now I am alive forever and ever. Amazing. It just makes my heart so excited. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the, the glory, the imagery, the taste of who you are that you show us, that you continue to reveal yourself to us. That the deeper we go, the deeper there is to go. That you have made us to need you. That you have, you are the one who fulfills all of our desires. Help us, God, to see you, to see Jesus. We thank you for the beauty of your truth and for your love. And we pray that you would give us this perspective, that you would help these truths to trickle down into our hearts that we might remember them and live in those ways in our daily lives, that the dailiness and ordinariness of life would not come in the way of us knowing you, and that we would be able to lift our, lift our eyes above, of our current, above our current circumstance, that we would see ourselves and see you in the perspective of your eternity. 
We thank you that you have revealed your truth to us, that we are not blind in the darkness, but that you have shown your light into our hearts, that we might know you. Pray that as we go from here today, that these truths would resonate within us, that you would give us a new um, longing, desire, um, a new love for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.